Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of Platform Enterprise, the show that platforms radical solutions to our living crisis. I asked IP journalist Charlotte Kilpatrick, my first ever guest, to come back on the show to discuss Biden's latest statement that he is willing to waive the IP rights to the vaccines in order to enable developing countries access to these vaccines. The whole world, uh, well, certainly the people are very, very happy, but the global north and big pharma are not. Intellectual property is a very complicated global overarching structure that is ensuring that hundreds of thousands are dying in India, whilst other nations are hoarding more than enough vaccines that they don't even need anymore. Um, So to really get a better grip of what was going on, I asked Charlotte to come back to reveal what Biden's move means for the global south, um, if anything will actually come of it. And also we got into this time how and why the pharma industry needs to change going forward. And she reveals that if they don't, the next big medical thing coming our way could be just as disastrous, if not more, than COVID-19 has been. If you prefer, you can watch this episode. Go to www.platformenterprise.com for the video. And don't forget to subscribe while you're there. Charlotte, thank you very much for joining me on the very first special edition episode of Platform Enterprise. How are you tonight? I'm great, Rachel. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, well, I'm very excited to hear what you have to say. (laughs) You are here to explain what Biden did last week in terms of the intellectual property rights and the vaccine. Could you please explain why Big Pharma is so upset right now? Oh, God. Okay, in a nutshell. So what has happened? We need to back up to, to understand what's happened. We need to back up to the month of May last year. This time last year, everyone was really upset about COVID and said, we need to have a vaccine and we need to have therapies. And for those in the global South, they could see where all of this was headed, that there was going to be inequality in the distribution of medicines. So they said, okay, let's set up patent pool sharing in in multiple ways. So the WHO, the World Health Organization, established something called the COVID-19 Technology Transfer Pool, CTAP is what it's called. And CTAP is a way that pharmaceutical companies can pledge their patents, know-how, data, cells, anything into this pool so that pharmaceutical companies around the world can have access to it, ramp up manufacturing quickly, and have more equitable access to vaccines and therapies. So there are several arms and legs to this CTAP thing. So this was great. This happened in May. Come October, uh, the Global South was like, the CTAP thing is empty. There's mm-hmm. nothing in here. What are we going to do? Um, and then they went to the TRIPS Council and they proposed a waiver. Sorry. Now to understand Sorry, the TRIPS Charlotte. Council. What, what is yeah. the TRIPS Council? Okay. So you have the World Trade Organization. So what the tri- World Trade Organization is, is what the name suggests. It's a bunch of countries coming together. They make rules about how they're going to trade. So the TRIPS Council, um, the intellectual property rules fall under the TRIPS Council. Okay. So. The delegates for India and South Africa went to the TRIPS Council and said, you know, it would be great if we could waive all intellectual property, including patents, copyrights, trademarks, trade secrets, the whole shebang, to not just vaccines, but also therapies. Okay? Right. So, So this has been in the works since October. Now, for those listening, we are now in the month of May. Okay, so... 
it'll be a surprise to nobody that the pharmaceutical industry vehemently against this. Now, Rachel, if I could draw a map for you, let's imagine a map in our heads. The North, Northern countries, up until two weeks ago, including Canada, Japan, the European Union, uh, the United Kingdom, were all, and Nor did I say Norway? Norway's against it too. Okay. We're all against this waiver. Southern countries, including pretty much every country in Africa, uh, every country in Latin America, were all like, we need this. Mm. So up until two weeks ago, the pharmaceutical industry has been lobbying heavily against it. And later I'll give you their arguments about why they're against it. So Trump also was, we don't have to imagine, we can all just say that he was going to be against this. Mm. Um, and it was a huge surprise for me as someone who covers intellectual property that last week Biden said he was in support of the waiver. Um, this has been sending ripples all through the pharmaceutical industry. Um, Germany slammed back and said that this isn't going to do anything to increase access to vaccines. And it should be noted that Biden only said it for vaccines, not for therapies. Sorry, can we just clarify the difference uh, quickly between vaccine and yeah. therapies? Okay, so so a vaccine is, Rachel, let's imagine you get a vaccine in your arm, most of us will get two shots. Mm -hmm. What the vaccine does is it builds up immunity so that you don't get the virus. Or if you do get the virus, the symptoms are not as bad as they would be if you got it without the vaccine. A therapy, so Donald Trump, for example, he got COVID-19. And when he got COVID, um, he got what they called a compassionate use of uh, Regeneron's monoclonal antibody cocktail. Now, a monoclonal antibody cocktail is a therapy. What you do is you shoot it into someone. I guess it's shot in, or maybe it's, I, I don't think it's in pill form. I don't know, sorry. Um, you take the monoclonal antibodies and you immediately have resistance to the vaccine. Mm. Okay, now it only works for people in the early stages of COVID. If you're already in the hospital in the ICU, it's not gonna do anything for you. But the monoclonal antibodies are there um, to help you fight the virus. So there are two, to my knowledge, the two big ones that are under works are Regeneron and Eli Lilly have monoclonal antibodies in the works. So that's something that the, the global South, India, South Africa, were asking also to have access to all the IP, intellectual property, for the therapies as well. If I may, why, um, this might be completely unimportant, but why are they classified differently, vaccines and therapies? Um, they're just different times in the, pro it's different, but they're just like, if you're going to do a war analogy, one's a tank, right? one's a shotgun. They're right. just different ways of fighting the virus. Right. Um, so it could be in the early days where like one way the virus is going to go away is we're just going to treat it. You just take something and it's gone. Mm -hmm. So there are, there are so many treatments in development right now, just like there's so many vaccines in development right mm -hmm. now. But where the world is right now, everyone's focused on vaccines. Um, so that's in the works as well. So for those listening right now, the big deal is Biden said he was in favor of the waiver for the vaccines. And it has been since then that the pharmaceutical industry and many developed countries who are being outrageously hypocritical at the moment um, have come out and said that Biden um, made a mistake and he should not be supporting this waiver. So why, why do you say that they're hypocritical? OK, so. To understand why they're being hypocritical, we have to understand the arguments that are being used against the waiver. Um, arguments are, let's take Canada, for example. 
Canada. Um, Canada's wavering back and forth whether or not they're going to support wavering on the waiver. Mm. Um, so if you, Canada has said, okay, well, the developing countries can use what is called a compulsory license under the TRIPS agreement. Now, a compulsory license says that a country, let's imagine South Africa, and this is what happened under the HIV pandemic, mm -hmm. said, we're going to bypass your patents. We are going to manufacture a, cheap, a cheaper generics version, and we'll pay you back for it later. So you are, we're going to compel you to give a license to a generics company. This is in the TRIPS agreement. Now, it should be noted that when this happened under HIV, the pharmaceutical industry was vehemently against compulsory licenses. Now that COVID's up and everybody's watching, they're like, uh, I guess that's a lesser of all evils. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and use a compulsory license. Now, Canada has said, why can't South Africa use a compulsory license? So let me walk you through why this doesn't work. So there is a company in Canada. I've had them on the phone two weeks ago. They are trying to manufacture the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Now, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is one shot. And this vaccine will not be for domestic use. It will be for COVAX. It will be for developing countries. Now, to get, they tried con contacting Johnson & Johnson, couldn't get a, up to now, they couldn't get a license. So they're going through Canada's compulsory licensing laws to try to get this approved. They are hitting a bottleneck. They have lost months and they still don't have approval getting a compulsory license for the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And this is in Canada, okay? We have lost months and this is a company that is, says we're up and ready to go once we know we're not gonna get sued hmm. for making these vaccines. And who do um, they plan on giving those vaccines to? To the developing world. This right. will go to, a develop, to the developing world. Um, so there are other, and the way in the TRIPS agreement, um, if you are going to use a compulsory license, it's not just like, woohoo, it's free for all. You have to go patent by patent, product by product. And for you guys to understand a vaccine, a vaccine's not like taking Tylenol. It's not just a simple molecule. It's more like your phone. Think of all the pieces and parts that go into your phone and each, like the camera, the shell, the touch screen, each of those will have a patent. Hmm. So if you want to compulsory license, for example, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, you have to go patent by patent to be able to produce it. And that's going to take a lot of time. Now, also under the TRIPS agreement, it says it is for domestic use. Okay, so let's pretend South Africa or India, because India has a huge um, vaccine manufacturing capacity, makes this stuff. They could not export it to Bangladesh. Now, under the TRIPS agreement, there is an article that says, okay, there is a small itty bitty way, there's an export clause. It says under certain conditions, you can export it. But it is so cumbersome and so difficult that this has only been used once in history. So to say to the developing world, why don't you just use these agreements that are already in there is completely hypocritical because they were specifically written in a way to make influence by the pharmaceutical industry to make it difficult for the developing world to use these, to use these provisions in the TRIPS agreement. So the, the idea almost for a, com for a compulsory licensing is that we, the, the countries that have the technological capacity to create a generics version will be able to, they have to use it domestically and thereby, you know, the big pharma will eventually get their money back. Whereas if you were to open it up to the developing world where GDP is very low and maybe they don't have the technological capacity, 
if there's no exports allowed, there's there's no way of these people getting the vaccine. Yeah, kind of. It basically the big the big thing to understand here is that what the pharmaceutical industry is proposing that you use the compulsory licenses is so difficult mm. that it would waste months and it opens them up to lots of lawsuits. The easiest thing is just to waive the whole thing. Now, so that's but, but if we were to waive the whole thing, they would get no money ever. They would get, I mean, uh, the way a compulsory license works is they would get some money. Like you go back and the way it works is like, we're going to worry about paying you back yeah. later. But so if they you were, will get money. But if you were to waive the IP entirely. They would still get money back oh. because oh, okay. they would still, yeah. I mean, you could do. It depends on how, how, they, how they draft the legislation in so, the TRIPS agreement. So what are they fussing about then? Well, because they won't get the big dollars. Oh. But haven't now, they already been paid? Well, this takes us to argument number two, Rachel. Okay. So the argument I get, there, there are basically two big arguments that the pharmaceutical industry is giving against this waiver. So the big one is, if you waive intellectual property rights, you undermine the incentives for these pharmaceutical companies to create new medicines. Because they need the intellectual property rights to guarantee that they will make the return on investment. Now, in normal times, I would debunk this argument until next Tuesday. But this is a because there are so many holes in that. But let's take specifically the case of COVID-19 with the vaccines. There is a study came out. I, I'll link it up to this that showed that there has been one hundred and thirteen billion dollars in public money thrown at pharmaceutical companies to come up with vaccines and therapies. So in the instance, let's take the AstraZeneca vaccine. Ninety seven, which we shouldn't even be calling that. We should be calling it the Oxford vaccine. Mm. They got 97% of all the funding for that Oxford vaccine came from public money. Wow. Moderna, 100, not joking, I'll say that again, 100% came from public funding. Johnson & Johnson also got, I think they've, under Operation Warp Speed, they got money for both their therapy and for their vaccine. I have to look it up. It was, a, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars for Pfizer, BioNTech who originally came up with it, who partnered with Pfizer, got half a billion dollars from the German government. So their argument of we're making the risk by making this investment goes out the window here. Now, what the pharmaceutical industry, when I have argued this to the pharmaceutical people, they come back and say, well, Charlotte, you need to understand that the mRNA vaccine was built on platforms that were that came around because of intellectual property rights, that, it, that pharmaceutical companies invested lots of money to even get us to where we are before, you know, governments Ugh. could start investing. And if you want to play that game, I will say very loudly, then we can play that game all the way back down to the wooden plow. Because mm. every technology is built yeah. on every technology that goes back to the wooden plow, which, by the way, wasn't patented. <laughs> so we can play this game for a while. Mm. So the argument of like, oh, and then I've heard, um, if, if you want arguments to scroll through Twitter about this, of what some pharma executives have been tweeting, one has said, I think it was AbV, something like, well, who's going to invest in the vaccine next time um, if you waive IP rights? So what they're trying to say is, if you do this, we just won't help you out the next mm. time there's a global pandemic, which we could all kind of say you're kind of being drama queens on this <laughs> one, because that was $113 billion on the table that no one's going to take to develop a vaccine. And this is what pharma companies are supposed to do. If a pharma company is going to say, we're not going to help out which is what we're supposed to find a cure for sick people. 
because we're not going to make lots and lots of money back, we need to start questioning the ethics of this industry. So again, they have been de-risked of their investment. Moderna's stocks have skyrocketed. AstraZeneca's skyrocketed. Pfizer's skyrocketed. Now, they did plummet once Biden made this announcement, <laughs> but that's not going to be long. I'm pretty sure they're going to go back up again. Um, this is a temporary thing. So that's argument number one that they make. Now, argument number two, and this does have a lit, there is a little bit of meat to this. They say, well, it's not like there are loads and loads of pharmaceutical companies, generics companies out there who can make this vaccine, who aren't already making the vaccine. This also needs to be debunked. Teva, Pharmace Teva Pharmaceuticals is one of the biggest generics companies in the world. Sorry, Teva I think Israel we need to define generics company. Okay, okay. So an innovator company is the one who comes up with the drug. Mm. Okay, so they invent it. And then once their patent expires, a generics company is like a copycat. They'll be like, okay, your patent's done. We're going to take your medicine. We're going to produce it a lot more cheaply okay. and undercut your profits. Great. I mean, this is, yeah, this is great. Okay. So Teva Pharmaceuticals is one of the biggest generics companies in the world. And in Israel, they were trying to get a license from Johnson & Johnson. And it didn't work. They couldn't do it. Why? I mean, I've imagined this conversation in my head multiple times about what all the reasons that this would not go through. So again, probably not for domestic use. Okay? In Israel, because Israel's already got their vaccines. Mm. Okay, so export use. Israel, who do you, they're probably going to be a little bit controlling about where these vaccines go. I don't think they'll be giving them to Palestine. Just section off, east, section off East Jerusalem, be like, nobody in there gets any. We're just going to wait until it catches you on and take all of your homes. Yeah. So just imagine the, is this going to Iran? Mm. I don't know. I mean, I'm mm. not, I don't want to speculate. I mean, but these are just imaginary conversations I've had in my head. Also, they have to go through the compulsory licensing laws through Israel. And this is very complicated. At the end of the day, I'm sure that Teva was just like, why are we doing this? It's not worth the time and effort. We can be doing something else. So that collapsed. There are also um, in South Africa, and as I mentioned, in Canada and in Bangladesh, companies that have said, we can do this. If you waive the IP, it will make our lives so much easier. And it's not like it's not like we've got time. We've already wasted a year mm. arguing about this. And we've wasted six months since this um, waiver was proposed. This is a lot of time and viruses mutate quickly. So to say that there isn't anybody out there who can make these vaccines isn't true. Now, the bigger argument, and again, this is where we always need nuance, is that, and Angela Merkel made this argument, it's not about the patents. And to some extent, this is true. Now, I want, I want you to imagine, Rachel, in your house, the most complicated piece of IKEA furniture that you have. Okay. Okay. Now imagine when that IKEA furniture came to your house, all you had in the box were the pieces and parts and a description of each piece and part. Mm -hmm. That's all a patent is. It's not the instructions. Oh, okay. Okay, it doesn't tell you how to make it. So for that, you need the trade secrets, which are called the know-how, okay? So, Going back to what I said earlier about the COVID-19 technology transfer pool, CTAP, this was created so that pharmaceutical companies could transfer their know-how. Just put all the data, put all the information into this giant knowledge pool so that everyone can use it. 
And as I mentioned, that knowledge pool is empty. So what the pharmaceutical companies are saying on one side is, oh, it's not about the patents, it's about the know-how, they don't know how to do it. And then the activists are saying, that's because you didn't give them the instructions mm. when we gave them the opportunity to give the instructions. Mm. So yeah, it's not so much about, that's why Biden's move is bold, but it's not as bold as it could have been. What would you have seen him do? I would have seen him propose the waiver. And then I would have also said, unfortunately, I think this boat has sailed. It was under the administration of Donald Trump when he was giving all these contracts under Operation Warp Speed. If you're going to sign on the dotted line, you're going to put all your information in um, in CTAP. So to go back in time and say, now you have to do it, we would have to pass a lot of laws. It would be yeah. very tricky. Yeah, I, th I think so, it's. If, yeah, yeah, please. No, please go on. No, 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 I'm just saying that it's so it is there is a lot of nuance in this. So what Angela Merkel and a lot of other countries are saying, it's not about the patents. They are partially right. I mean, the company in Canada is ready to go. They can do it, but not all industries, not all companies around the world can do it with just the patent. Many of them need the know-how transfers, the technology transfers, like just imagine like the cool box that the Pfizer vaccines come in. All that stuff needed to have been contributed to the knowledge pool, and it's just not there. If the IP is waived, what is the point in withholding the know-how from the CTAP? I think a lot of pharmaceutical companies might think, well, they can take our patents, but they don't really have the instructions. So let's just hold out and see. Jeez. I think it's important to situate this um, conversation with, around what's happening in India right now. Okay, thank you. Yes. Yeah. So let's take in India, for those listening, as you will know, India right now, the numbers are skyrocketing. And when a lot of people are in closed spaces, that gives the virus um, opportunity to mutate. Now, again, it should be noted that India has one of the huge, huge industry for generics manufacturers in India. Now, the Serum Institute of India, back in the early days when the Oxford vaccine went to AstraZeneca, was licensed um, the AstraZeneca vaccine. And recently, instead of exporting, which is what was the original agreement, they have used it all domestically. Now, in the, this, in, this Indian company. In India, right. this one Indian company. Now, it's important to keep in mind, one, there are so many countries have been acting in morally dubious ways. So in America, for example, America's not exporting vaccines. They're pretty much hoarding all the vaccines that are manufactured in America for domestic use. The reason, the reason the AstraZeneca vaccine is known as the AstraZeneca vaccine is because right before that contract from Oxford was supposed to be signed to Merck, the health minister in the UK, Matt Hancock, was like, hold up. Merck is in the US. Donald Trump has shown his true colors. If we leave it in the US, there is no guarantee that Donald Trump is going to let us have access to this vaccine. Mm -hmm. You're going to go with AstraZeneca, which is a Swedish and UK company. Right. So a lot of these companies, so what a lot of countries are doing is they're manufacturing it and keeping it for themselves. And now India is like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to keep it for ourselves. But it's a little bit too, it's too little too late. Because India was exporting a lot of the vaccines um, to other countries. Wow. What a gross wow. irony and all of that. Um, is there a chance that India will be hit with um, some lawsuits now that they're distributing this vaccine domestically rather than 
I, I mean, I think here's, I mean, because people like me would scream and shout, and this would be really, really bad PR for the pharmaceutical companies if they did. The one thing, the one thing that's shocking for me, Rachel, is that the pharmaceutical companies, if they really believe that waiving intellectual property, that this waiver is not going to do anything to increase global manufacturing or to cut into their profits, then just do it. Why not just do it? Yeah. Just look like a good guy. Do it. And if on the flip side, they're saying, oh, well, this will undermine our profits. This will undermine our faith in intellectual property. Then that signals you are putting profits before human lives. Yeah, but we knew you that already. Have, like you, when you have yeah. the cost of insulin in the US at like hundreds of dollars when it only costs a couple to manufacture. Like we did know that. Oh, that's a whole that, that's a whole hmm. other thing. So um, yeah, so there's been some shady stuff. And one other thing that I keep hearing, I, I studied international relations, I studied inter international development. Um, there's this whole argument of we need to give developing countries the capacity to do things on their own without relying on handouts and charity. Like all, you know, the arguments on the right, like, why are we giving them handouts? They need to, you know, we need to teach them to fish instead of giving them fish. And I find that it's really ironic that right now the developing world is saying, we don't want your charity. Mm. We don't want COVAX. We do not want these donated. I mean, that's fine. We do want some of them, but we also want to be able to do it on our own. We do not want to be so reliant on the West for their mercy so that we can end a pandemic. Mm. And that's that's what we're seeing here is a lot of companies saying, well, we don't we don't want to give this away. So um, do you think it will pass? Do you think that the this IP I, waiver will pass? Because who else I, now, I, does it have to go to a vote again? Yeah. So basically what's happening, this has been kicking around for a year. Oh, well, since October. Right. Because so I did see that original vote back in like February or wherever it was, that map that was really, really shocking where like the entire global north, you know, for all of these again. countries that talk about progressivism and and social politics and, you know, opening our floodgates for refugees. But like when it comes to waiving IP rights to vaccinate, no. you know, poor developing nations, no, nobody voted yeah. for it. So nobody. it has to go to um, a vote again. Well, they, it has to. I think what's happening now is because remember originally India and South Africa said this was for vaccines and therapies. So now we have to re rewrite the waiver to make it about, about vaccines, and we have to get the language right. It has to be debated back and forth and back and forth. So basically, there is like infinite possibilities to stall this thing mm. um, even longer. Um, I thought it was interesting that Emmanuel Macron said that he, I read something today that he was hesitant about it, which is again interesting because the Assemblée Nationale proposed a law about compulsory licensing um, themselves in case they couldn't get domestic use of it. They want to be able to compulsory license this. So when developing countries are like, we're going to pass laws so that we can take this stuff, yeah. but we want to make it more difficult for other countries to do it. It's insanely hypocritical. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'll be curious to find out. Um, they said they're, they're going to debate this in the coming weeks. But again, CTAP was set up a year ago. And a year ago, even Emmanuel Macron, all the world leaders were saying, we need a people's vaccine. Yeah. A people's vaccine that is funded by the people, owned by the people, for the people. And what wow. we have seen <laughs> is a vaccine that is funded by the people, owned by the pharmaceutical companies, and the pharmaceutical companies decide where this is going. Let me let me just clarify one thing before um, we move yeah. on to our next line of questioning. So if the IP waiver went through, 
would developing nations then have the right to compulsory license or just to make the to to make it all right they wouldn't need they wouldn't need to go all right so the, what they, they wouldn't would need a compulsory what they, license they wouldn't need it so this right. guy in canada he could just go right he could worry about it later it depends on how the wording how the wording of the waiver yeah. um my guess is they're not going to write a waiver that says that the pharmaceutical companies get no money. That's just not going to happen, mm. um, even in our wildest dreams. Um, they're going to say, we'll reimburse you something later. But right now, we just need to not worry about it. We just need to hit the gas pedal and go. So, big, we, we, in fact, you were the first ever guest on this podcast. Uh, we did talk about the fact that. Um, Far, big pharma is making profits over a people's funded vaccines. A people's funded Not vaccines. all of them, but some of them are, yeah. Oh, um, let's name so, them. Okay, so AstraZeneca, um, the Oxford vaccine, hmm. the Oxford, their contract with AstraZeneca says that it is to be provided at cost, which means at the cost of making mm -hmm. it, um, to the developing world forever. Like, just as long as they need it, this goes to the developing world. Oh. And it... To be fair, it's really cheap. But then why isn't it happening? If that's in the contract, how is that not happening? Well, here's the thing. It, you, can, you can sell it at cost, but you can't manufacture it. Oh. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. So that's cool. Now, Moderna has said they are making a profit off this. They're making a big profit off this. Moderna is making a big profit. And again, 100% funded by American taxpayers. Mm. Um, but Moderna has said publicly, we are not going to enforce our patents. So you can take it, produce it. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's great. Why are we even talking about this? Yeah. But remember what I said about the IKEA instructions, the know-how transfer. Nothing from Moderna. So they're saying, go ahead, Just use the patent, but we're not, but we're not going to tell you how to do it. It's like um, greenwashing. It's it's like it's care washing or something. Yeah, it, <laughs> it makes you sound good, but when you get into the into the details, it's a bit more complicated. Um, and I don't know what Pfizer has said. I don't. I mean, they, Pfizer would look really horrible if they did enforce their patents. Um, and they are definitely making money off of this. They are, they are making money off this. Right. I think I think that we now need to talk about um, something else that happened at the beginning that has sort of come back into the news in this past week because of his divorce. Um, oh, yes. The king what of intellectual what? property. Yes, what, what role, role did he play? Because oh, we're talking hey. because we're talking about CTAP, which was the thing that was sort of set up by the international community. And yet it yeah. was Gates that created COVAX, which was all meant to be about sharing, but that's actually kind of put a stopper in CTAP, hasn't it? Somehow. Okay. Yes. Okay. Fire Very away. good question. Fire away. Okay. So let's go back in time to the month of May month of May of last year, mm. everyone was like, yes, people's vaccine, CTAP, everyone's going to have a global patent pool, we're going to contribute everything. Um, and you have to keep in mind that, all right, so the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is really big, and it's a big philanthropic group. They've done some great things, cured river blindness, given lots of condoms away. We don't want to subtract from that. They've done some great work. Now, but what we need to ask ourselves, first question, is this democratic? So the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation takes up a huge voting block in the World Health Organization. That they are not democratically elected. They get to vote. Got a, 
I don't know if they get to vote, but they do have big sway on where the money oh, goes. Oh, they're like lobbyists. In the World Health right, Organization. Right, right. They set a lot of agendas yeah. um, in the World Health Organization. So what happens is that, so in the early days, when everyone's like, throw money into this, throw money into this, um, let's everyone share all your stuff. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation lobbied hard to say, you know what? Instead of having a patent pool, let's create something called COVAX where we are going to donate our vaccines and then they will be distributed by, you know, percentage of population to different countries. Now, in theory, this sounds good, right? This sounds like, okay, we're going to, we're going to, we're not going to do it via a patent pool, but we're going to accomplish the same aim via charity. So maybe in like June, which makes it very different. Yeah. But people are like, okay, well, you know, if we accomplish the same goal, Hmm. hmm, who cares? Um, so this almost this time last year, I was like, but who goes first? It says there's a lot of ambiguities here. There's a lot of sketchy business. It says lower developed countries. But what about middle income countries? So I did my due diligence, called up Medicines Patent Pool and was like, I oh, sorry, not Medicines Patent Pool, um, Doctors Without Borders. It was like, do y'all know how this is going to be distributed? I had a woman on the phone who was like, nope. I was like, do you have a list of which countries go first? She was like, no, do you? It's like, you're Doctors Without Borders. Why don't you have the list? Mm. She was like, I, I don't have the list. And she was like, so they're saying lower developed countries. So if you're like your Chad's, your Burkina Faso's, you might be okay. If you're a middle income country like Jordan, when do you get your vaccines from COVAX? Because you don't have manufacturing capacity. You are, again, relying on charity to get these vaccines. When are you going to get them? Mm. I don't know. Um, and as we have seen, I remember I was writing about this in January when 25 million doses have been given out in the developed world. Not even 25 doses have been given out in the sorry, in the developed world, you got 25 million, not even 25 in the developed world. 25 million in the developed world, 25.0 in, de- in the developing world. Yeah. All right. What, ha- your- what <laughs> happened, Gates's? Well, I think what happened is that all these countries who were producing it, like, you know, I'm very, I live in the UK. I've been to the pubs recently. It's great. I've been able to go out and see friends again. And it's like, that's because 50% of our population is vaccinated. But for every vaccine selfie that's taken in the West, that's not a vaccine selfie that's being taken in the developing world. Now, it's great. Like, I'm 30-something years old. I'm healthy. I run the equivalent of the distance of a marathon every week. I've had one jab. Now, should a nurse in Uruguay who's in an intensive care unit not have a vaccine, but a healthy 30-something in the UK have it? We can ask ourselves some questions because a lot of the vaccines have been kept for domestic use. Yeah, okay, Namely but, in the US. Okay, yeah, but what happened Covax? What happened Gates's? Like they they set this up, it kind of tripped CTAP up. As far as I'm understanding, it it really shot CTAP in the back actually. Like yeah. they, they promised this, this is what it was set up for. Why is nobody holding them accountable for the fact that it's clearly failed? <laughs> well, that's why we're here. Because now we're we're a year later and COVAX is not delivering. It's come up short. Um, I read a report from, I think it was from Oxfam, that said at the rate that we're going right now, it will be five years 
for the developing world to get 70% of their populations back. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah. I'm going to be going on vacation um, anywhere in the developed world I want. While all, so basically what we're going to have is in the north, everyone's vaccinated, the, and then the bottom of the planet, this, vac this virus is just going to be circulating, circulating, and mutating, and we're all free. Because charity is not the solution here. What I mean, it might be part of it. I think what people are trying to see is there's one silver bullet. There's not one. So COVAX, great. I mean, the U.S. right now has surpluses of vaccines. Great. Donate them if you can. That'd be great, Biden, if you could do that. Mm. Um, also, Biden, if you could lift your foot off of the supply chain bottlenecks, that would be great, too. Lots of bottleneck issues going on. That can be ironed out and also give countries the ability to manufacture on their own. Now, the cynic in me, what the cynic in me is, is afraid of. Um, I don't know if listeners out there ever saw this film. It was made about 10, 20 years ago called Tea with Mussolini. It was about a bunch of little old British ladies who were living in Tuscany in the time of World War II. And they all loved Italian frescoes. And there's a little boy who comes up to his grandmother and says, who was played by Lily Tomlin, or maybe she wasn't his grandmother, I don't remember. He goes up to Lily Tomlin and says, I want to grow up and be a painter. And Lily Tomlin says to him, if you want to be a painter, the first thing you need to do is study the greats, study the painters. You've got to get your technique down and then you can create something new. So if we look at the history of China, for people who don't know, but 30 years ago, China did not have any intellectual property system. Nothing. Their intellectual property system is as old as I am. And the only reason that they are enforcing their laws now is because they've got their own stuff to protect. What they've been doing for the past 30 years is stealing everybody else's stuff, tinkering with it, learning from it, mastering it, and then coming up with something new. And as soon as they came up with something new, that's when they slapped the protections on it. Because in order to innovate, you've got to have the basics. So what I'm worried about in the back of my head is that the pharmaceutical companies are thinking to themselves, well, if we if we give them the tools to all of this, all these all these manufacturing companies and all these other and all these other countries, they're going to learn how to do cool stuff. They're going to learn from our technology platforms and they could become our competitors. Oh, but I thought uh, competition actually incentivizes, um, you know, no, innovation and no production. Such thing as the, there's no such thing as a free market in this case. <laughs> a patent, if anyone who argues free markets can never argue for an intellectual property system, because that is what it is. It is a given 20 year monopoly. And what the other thing is what I keep trying to remind um, folks in this debate is what a patent is. A patent is it's a right. And it says there's a bargain here. You created something good for society, so we're going to reward you with a monopoly to say thank you and to incentivize you to come up with something new. So that's what it is a right, like the right to free speech, like the right to congregate, like the right to the press, all these. It is a right. Now, what we have seen during COVID is that no right is always guaranteed. I haven't had the right to go out to a nightclub and party really hard. We haven't had the right to leave our house. We haven't had the right to travel. Lots of our rights have been suspended for the greater good. And we can all say, okay, we needed to do that for the greater good. But what the folks in the intellectual property community are saying is this is as this right is sacrosanct. It should never be violated. And what we're all saying is not every case is the same. We've got a pandemic that has killed millions of people has taken, you know, if you want to take the millions of years 
of education lost to school children, all the high school proms that were taken away, all the weddings that were canceled, all the people who couldn't be with their dying parents when they were in the ICU. There have been sacrifices made everywhere. And it just astounds me that the pharmaceutical industry is saying, but we have a patent, this is our right. And we're like, but the, what you don't understand is the bargain that has been made has been broken down. We funded you to do your job. You did not invest, or maybe in Pfizer's case, they invested some, they invested a little bit, but for the big portion of this came from the people. And we are saying that this bargain, it's not fair. Yes, we get, we got the vaccine, but you own it. And that leaves us at your mercy. And is that fair? Is this the sort of the justice system that we want? Now, if well, hang on, let's speak of justice system that why are law are there lawyers jumping on this? Because I mean, surely, surely there is some clause written in some law somewhere in British law or in American law, which is, you know, very similar, um, that if you fund something, then oh, you have Rachel. some kind of right to it. Oh, darling. Okay. No. In fact, the right, it goes the opposite way. So let's take the United States, for example. True story. Um, in the 1980s, there was a law that's passed called the Bayer-Dole Act. What the Bayer-Dole Act said is that if a pharmaceutical company or a university gets public funding, it's not the people who own that patent, but the company that owns that patent. We paid for it, and the law says they own it. It goes the opposite. No, this is not as clear as you think it is. The, the law, the, the justice you have in your head goes in the completely opposite direction. No, I'm, 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 not, I'm not surprised at all, given like the state of the world. Um, now, 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 what, now, what the pharmaceutical industry and what my editors yell at me about every day is, well, Charlotte, you know, before this law was passed, none of the pharmaceutical companies were taking this research and doing anything with it because they weren't sure that they would make their return on investment if they didn't own, if they couldn't say that they owned the output of that research. Now, okay, fine. Let's say, all right, there might be some credibility to that. Okay, fine. So that's why written into the Bayer-Dole Act was a clause that said, we're going to come up with a compromise called the March-In Orders. Now, the March-In Orders say, if you receive public mon money, okay, fine, you own the patent, but you are obligated to provide the outputs of that research on reasonable terms. Oh. Now, okay, so reasonable terms to me means money, means you need to provide this in a way that we can all afford it, mm. right? Okay, so back to this story of Operation Warp Speed. When those contracts were written, where I'm not even sure if we are legal, I've talked to the lawyers about this, was this legal? That march-in clause that I just mentioned was deliberately stripped out of those contracts. You're joking. No. No. Deliberately stripped out. Who, 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 oh, I would love to meet like a, a farmer lawyer or a farmer exec one day just to find out how these people think. They, like, they, I mean, they are they genuinely believe in their heart of hearts that they need these incentives to, to have business certainty to produce these drugs. And again, nothing is but it was a pandemic the people were going well, to what... need the vaccine like that was always a given by that point it well, was global that's <laughs> what i'm saying 
Um, but that's not what that's not the way they think. If we had what if there was one of these big pharma people who I speak to every week who was here, they would say, but Charlotte, we need this because we need certainty that we will make our return on investment. Even though there was no investment. That's what I'm saying. Oh God, this is this is fascinating. So it goes it goes around in circles here. And then and then right before Donald Trump left the White House, he decided to leave a gift to the pharmaceutical industry. And it went under the radar for a little while, um, for me at least, I'm sure not for other people. He proposed to strip the Buyer Dole Act. Remember that marching clause says on reasonable terms, to say that on reasonable terms could no longer refer to pricing. Now, I have had people who I work with tell me with a complete straight face on reasonable terms that never meant pricing. And I'm sitting here like, what else did you mean? Like, what else? What else? Like, what else does that mean? I don't know. Um, so they solicited lots of comments and they're deciding whether or not they're going to strip um, the Buyer Dole Act of the one little line of protection that we have. And for the record, those marching orders. They've never been used, even under the HIV pandemic, when it was the people who funded and philanthropic groups who funded the vast amount of money that went into PrEP, which is what keeps people from um, giving HIV and contracting HIV. Um, lots of public money went into that. Again, marching orders never been used. All right. So it goes with it's bigger saying. than you think. This is like. Yeah, there are a lot of darker, much more powerful voices out there than my own um, advocating for keeping intellectual property rights sacrosanct so that other people, other countries, other manufacturers can't um, use their stuff, even though, again, it was the people who in many parts paid for it. Now, it should I would mention on their behalf of the pharmaceutical industries that it is true that costs of manufacturing of researching and manufacturing drugs are going up. It does cost millions of dollars. I mean, astronomical prices to bring a new drug to market. This is true. They are right when they say we need business certainty because we are investing so much. But I will also respond that 40% of drug research comes from the National Institutes of Health, mm. which is the people. So, so they're not alone in this. Charlotte, what needs to be done in your professional so opinion? So much needs, so much. But needs if to be done. if we I were mean, to come out of this pandemic with one clear aim, one first step about reforming the pharmaceutical industry, so that there, it will never ever happen again, that one nation is hoarding vaccines while millions are dying and another one just across the way, what would it be? Well, I would say for when you are funding a pharmaceutical company, say you must use CTAP. The WHO set up the, the vaccine um, patent pool for not, for patent transfers, for know-how transfers, trade secrets, everything. That should have been written into the contracts. It could have been. There's nothing that said it couldn't have been. And it just wasn't. Also, there was no reason, for example, when the Oxford vaccine came out that it had to go to a pharmaceutical company. Hey, wh no. what do you mean? Okay, so Oxford... They developed the vaccines. What they needed to do after they developed it was to run the clinical trial, oh. run the clinical trials, and manufacture it. Mm -hmm. Why can't a government do that? 
run the clinical trials and manufacture a vaccine. These are what we need to do is start thinking outside of the box. Why are we relying on private companies to do something we could have done? If the Oxford vaccine was completely publicly funded, which it was, why couldn't each government have just said, thank you, we're going to all pitch in together, run the clinical trials and manufacture this? It didn't have to go to AstraZeneca. It should have to go to Merck. Was there, that happen? was there any vaccine that didn't go to a pharmaceutical company? I mean, if you want to look at Russia. <laughs> What's it called? Or Cuba. Oh, whatever the Russian Sputnik something. Yeah, what is um, Also Cuba. Cuba. Little yeah. Cuba. Little Cuba. Little yeah. Cuba is doing what they can. And then everyone's like, oh, but, you know, they'll never get their vaccine to market. And it's like, well, they're not getting their vaccine to market because you're not giving them the resources to do it. Mm. If they did, if you if you funded them. If you gave them the resources, they would. What I hear time and time again when I say, you know, talking about public financing is I get people in the pharmaceutical industry said, no communist ever developed a medication. And I'm like, well, I don't know if that's true, but I do know that public money, public research has done things like get a man on the moon. So to say that only private companies, that the private sector alone is capable of solving a problem is just not even true. We could do this. There is nothing that says governments can't come up with their own vaccine manufacturers. There's nothing that says governments can't fund research on their own. There is nothing that says governments can't have their own pharma innovator companies. There's, we need to start thinking outside the box about how we fund research. Because right now we've got a pandemic, but Rachel, we can talk for another episode about antimicrobial resistance which if you had asked me two years ago, I wouldn't have said it was going to be a virus that's going to get everybody. I would have said it was going to be a superbug because that is coming for us. That's going to be the next thing. And because of the way the patent system is set up, we do not have antibiotics in the pipelines to help us when that hits. And it is coming. Well, what a terrifying note to end on. Thank you very much, Sorry. Charlotte. <laughs> It's been fun. <laughs> this, uh, where can people go to keep an eye on all of this information? Knowledge Ecology International. They've got a website, kei.org, um, I think. Um, they're a great resource. I check out Medicines Law and Policy. They're fantastic too. They're following this very closely. All right, brilliant. Listen, thank you so much. If there is a big update in the situation, I will have you back on to reveal all. Cool. Thank you. Thanks. Hi everyone. If you got as much out of that as I did, then please leave us five stars and a comment to let us know what you think. Then head over to www.platformenterprise.com to subscribe to this podcast and my newsletter, both of which are produced for people who are pissed off with capitalism. All right. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. I'll see you next week.